The Bible reading this morning is Matthew chapter 17, starting at verse 24, and then moving on to chapter 18 and finishing at verse 9. So it's Matthew 17, starting at, chapter, at verse 24. When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the temple tax approached Peter and said, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he said. When he went into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. What do you think, Simon? From whom do earthly kings collect tariffs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? From strangers, he said. Then the sons are free, Jesus told him. But so we won't offend them. Go to the sea, cast in a fish hook, and take the first fish that you catch. When you open its mouth, you'll find a coin. Take it and give it to them for me and you. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, So who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child and had him stand among them. Truly I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child like this, in my name, welcomes me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned into the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offences, for offences will inevitably come, but woe to that person by whom the offence comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to fall away, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter maimed or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hellfire. Amen. Let the little children come to me. Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. Don't stop them. Because the kingdom of God belongs. Because the kingdom of God belongs. Kingdom of God belongs. Belongs to such a Uh, talking about, oh, very loud. Talking about um, earliest memories, uh, Chris and I were both talking. We had two year old memories of moving countries at the time. So it's funny, Sam was talking about moving cities. Maybe those are the big transition moments that lodge in our early memories where something big uh, changes. Um, well, anyway, speaking of memories, I've got a much, much more recent memory uh, of a few weeks ago. I went fishing. Uh, there were three of us, oh, sorry, three of us dads with our three uh, nine-year-old boys heading out in a little boat. Um, and this trip helped me reflect on the difference between heading out on a fishing trip and coming back. That's quite a difference. On the way out, you know, this, the, the anticipation, the, the, the stories of past fishing adventures and victories, you know, a bit of casual boasting. Oh, yeah, well, I got a flathead that was, you know, this big once. And it's all good fun um, on the way out. We had a good time fishing, we caught nothing, except for each other's lines and one guy's finger pretty early, uh, but it was all good until we turned and headed for home. 
just a light little breeze that sprung up. It came around the, the, the edge of the, the, the land into, into the wind. It was a little bit choppy. And, you know, the first couple of splashes, it's a bit of fun. <laughs> oh, let's try not to get too wet, you know. Just laugh it off. But before too long, you realise the truth. We were going to get soaked. We were going to get absolutely drenched. There was no way around it. We were going to get very wet and very cold. It wasn't that long ago, so it was, you know... Quite, quite cool weather. And we did. It was, it was a shocker. The, the, like the wind and the waves, they weren't crazy. They looked fine. Um, but our engine was just tiny. And so we're, we're just putt-putting into every single little bump of the water. And just water would just keep coming over us and over us. Every single wave. We felt helpless. Your boasting on the way out turns to humility on the way home. The poor guy driving the boat, holding on for dear life, just gritting his teeth, looking at the bridge ahead, which was just not coming any closer. Um, he talked about like those Monty Python movies where just like you, you're running and getting nowhere. <laughs> like it was just, it was like this is not, not getting any anywhere. Uh, we had uh, the other dad and I. We just tried to shelter our boys and try and keep them not too cold. And we were getting pretty wet and cold ourselves. We we were helpless. Nothing we could do. No helpful advice. We couldn't make the boat go any faster. We were sitting there, useless, helpless. Going past the other boats, people just casually fishing in quite fine weather, <laughs> and we're just wet and cold and shivering and. It, it, useless, helpless. Uh, helpless isn't a feeling that we like. Helpless isn't a feeling that we're comfortable with. Being not in control is something we try and avoid at all cost, isn't it? Uh, you feel that in all kinds of ways, whether you, you know, you've had time in hospital, injured, um, sick, maybe you've been lost or stuck somewhere, maybe overwhelmed by life to the point where you just can't think and do anything. We, we want to be con- in control. We want to make decisions, make good decisions. We want to change our future and control our path, but circumstances pile up will help us to do anything about it. Like fishermen boasting about our, our dreams and plans, we boast of the things that we, we want to do about our plans and our goals, but like a fisherman who's got no real control about what he bites, well, sorry, what he bites, what bites the line. No control of the weather, we have so little control of anything as well. And that feels kind of like a downer, feels like bad news. But, but it's good news for us to know it. It's good news for us to know our helplessness. Our helplessness reminds us that we're like little children. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. We are children before God. Good because Jesus points to children and says, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. The kingdom of God belongs to those who are like kids. Those who know they're like kids, who are ready to call God their father. Today, let's be reminded that our boasting is empty, that our humility, our weakness is a gift. It's a reason for joy because we're in the arms of the best and strongest Father possible. Um, Our reading today starts with a fishing story, kind of. Hints of a fishing story. And the point of the story that 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 we've just had read, that Adele uh, read for us, um, is to remind us again that Jesus is truly God's Son, and then we get a hint, we get a glimpse that this sonship is something that we are invited into as well. We can be called sons and daughters of God too. So uh, Jesus and his disciples uh, arrive in the town. The temple, the temple tax collectors ask uh, Peter if Jesus would pay the temple tax. Yeah, sure he does, Peter says, and just walks off. I mean, it's not very obvious what's going on here, but from what I can pick up, this this tax, this is not those, um, like the, the dodgy tax collectors of the, the Gospels we, we kind of hear of. This is not the Romans asking for tax. It's, it's not those guys. This is the, the temple tax. 
uh, the temple tax. Uh, it goes towards looking after the Jewish temple. You, I think it was a, a fair amount of money. It was paid once a year. It became kind of an identity marker for the Jewish people. Um, you know, like a committed football fan might uh, pay to be a member. That kind of idea. You kind of show your allegiance to the team. Jews have paid their association fees, if you like, the temple tax. For some, it had become quite a religious, superstitious thing. I've got to pay it to, to be uh, in God's good books. And there was some controversy around it. Some leaders were saying, we're exempt from the temple tax. Others didn't. And so it's a bit more of a politically charged question than we kind of realise. Does your teacher pay the temple tax? Whose side is he on? Is he one of us or not? Uh, and so they ask Peter this. Uh, just to clarify, he calls him Simon and Peter within a couple of sentences. Same guy. His name is Simon Peter. Just to keep us on our toes, he's called Simon or Peter. Um, same guy, one guy. Uh, anyway, so uh, Peter says, yeah, Jesus will pay. Uh, he kind of walks off. Obviously, no cash on him at the moment, so that'll have to wait. Uh, now, Jesus seizes the opportunity for a teaching moment, as Jesus likes to do, take an opportunity to teach something to Peter and to us. They go into the house, Jesus corners him and says, what do you think, Simon? Uh, when earthly kings get taxes, who do they get them from? From their own sons or from strangers? And you imagine the, the royal king sitting on his royal throne, sending out his royal tax collectors. Where does he send them? Okay, guys, just go around the royal bedrooms first, wake up my lazy sons and get the tax from them, uh, would you? No, no, the tax collectors go out away from the family, to get, collect taxes to support the king, to support the kingdom. You get taxes from strangers. Peter answers correctly. Exactly. Therefore, the sons are free, says Jesus. What's he saying by this? He's saying, Peter, look, I don't need to pay the temple tax. I don't need to. I mean, would the Son of God need to pay for the upkeep of the temple that's there to worship this God? Well, no, he doesn't need to, but... Let's not cause offence, we'll pay it. I'm with these people, I walk with them, I'm part of them, I associate with them, and Jesus does that every step of the way with his people. We'll pay it. But in paying for it, we're going to see how we're really provided for. We're going to pay it as those cared for and provided for by my Father, by God. The cost will be on him. So, Peter, Jesus says, go chuck a line in the sea, catch a fish, you'll find a coin in there that's enough for both of us. God the Father will provide for both of us. He'll pay the price for you to be seen as part of the people of God. I love those little glimmers. I don't know if you heard what I said just then. A shadow, <laughs> a hint, a sparkle of what Jesus was, was coming to do. He'll pay the price so that people like Simon and you and me can be part of the people of God. It's just a little glimpse. I don't want to build too much on that, but just a glimpse of how the Father provides for His Son, Jesus, how Peter is invited into that relationship. Peter too will be able to call God Father. Those with Jesus call God Father and He will provide for them and bring them into His people. It's a little hint in that short story. Now, the writer doesn't, doesn't, he doesn't include the bit where the fishing actually happens. We don't that's not narrated for us, and I reckon it's miraculous enough knowing that you'll catch something, let alone catching a fish with a coin in its mouth, let alone it being the, exactly the amount that, that they need. It's pretty miraculous sounding. Uh, and so, you know, it can be a little hard to go, oh, did this really happen? How, how does this work? Does, is that, 
Is that how God provides? Uh, it feels very miraculous, but to be honest, I have heard plenty of stories over the years, God providing exactly the right amount of money at exactly the right time, uh, using some pretty miraculous circumstances for, for lots of people that I've, I've heard of over the years. You may know those stories as well. That's how God works sometimes. But for Matthew, the, the fishing bit's not the point of the story. It doesn't record it, it's not the point. The point is not the miracle, the point is the identity of Jesus and what he's doing. Jesus, the Son of God, inviting others into that same relationship with God, daughters and sons. What a privilege for those who can call God their Father. What a privilege. What a privilege for the disciples then to be walking with Jesus, front row seats to Jesus, uh, to, to the miracles, to the teaching, pretty amazing. Front row seats to hearing that, that, that from Jesus that they can be sons of, of God too. Now, when you sit in a position of privilege, it can go to your head, can't it? You can start to think, I'm kind of a big deal around here. Perhaps this is what was going on for the disciples. They come to Jesus with a question, verse 18, chapter 18, verse 1. So, Jesus, just wondering, um, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, if you look at, at Mark and Luke, the other Gospels, uh, you'll see this question comes out of an argument. The disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. Matthew's a little uh, less clear about that. Perhaps he was part of the argument. I don't know. Uh, but, but either way, uh, Jesus, who's the, king, who's the greatest in the kingdom of the hev- in heaven? There's a bit of competition going on. Who's the greatest? What does it take to be great in your kingdom? I think maybe time for a performance review, guys. Like, what... Wh- what am I doing well? What should I be working on? How are my healings and my public speaking and my Old Testament knowledge and my debating skills and maybe you need to get some fundraising happening or do I have to raise an army? I can do that too. Should I work on my praying or my fasting or works of charity? What makes someone great in the kingdom of God? How can I do well and be great? Jesus, who is the greatest? Is it me? <laughs> Uh, for us, what are the things that make us, that fill us with pride, fill us with a sense of achievement, make us feel better than someone else, maybe better than someone else at church? Who is the greatest among us? Is it you? Jesus, the holy, powerful Son of God, hands down the verdict to the squabbling disciples. Verse 2. He called a small child and had him stand among them. Truly, I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What? Doesn't make sense. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven is, is like this child, this barefoot, grubby little kid. Look at him. He's got his finger halfway up his nose. What do you mean he's great in the kingdom of heaven? Seriously, Jesus? Disciples, Jesus says, are you worried about status? Do you want to be the best and the greatest? Well, here's the secret. Look at this child. Here is someone with no status. Be like him. Be like his little sister. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be like them. And you know what he says? I'm not even talking about being great in the kingdom of God. I'm talking about being in it. Getting in. Unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, the bar for entry is the same as the bar for greatness. I think it's just pretty great to be in the kingdom of God. That path to greatness, the path to that kingdom is to be like a child. Like a child. 
But how? But how like a child? What particular bit of childhood are we looking at here? What's the characteristic? Is it being dirty and barefoot? No. Jesus spells it out. Whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humbles himself like a child. Humble. Humility. Now, humility to us, I think when we hear humility, we kind of get a different picture in our head maybe than, than we did back then. Like, can we, we can't think humility is an attitude. You know what I mean? Um, you know, they're not arrogant, they're humble. And so we can see a rich and powerful CEO or politician or celebrity and you can see that they're just grateful for what they have and they don't see themselves as better than others and they're respectful. You might look at them and say, oh, they're wealthy but they're humble. That's not what Jesus means here. It's not saying have a humble attitude like a child. Because if you think about it, how many humble children do you know? <laughs> most kids aren't humble in that kind of way. They're pretty self-absorbed and boastful, mostly. That's how they're wired. A child's humbleness is not about their attitude, it's about their status. It's about their state. Kids, especially children in those days, had no status, no power, very little control over anything. It's a key characteristic of childhood. Weakness, a lack of power and control. That's the humility we need to see that we have, Jesus says. We have nothing. We bring nothing. We don't get into the kingdom of God through power or control or credentials or anything we bring. We come as dependent children. Weak, powerless. Now, we forget this as we get older, but kids don't feel powerful usually. They are smaller, they are weaker, they get told what to do all the time. Um, a few years ago, I was reading an essay on performing magic for children, as I'm sure you do from time to time, read those kind of things. And the, re- the writer, the, the esteemed Silly Billy, I think his name is, uh, said that the, the best magic for children is, is when it goes bad for the magician and good for the kid. You know those tricks. Where they are right and you are wrong. Kids love it. Why? He says, well, for that moment, they have power over an adult. The kid is right, the adult is wrong, and everyone knows it. How great for a child. That's why kids chase seagulls or, or birds. They have the power. It's probably why they bash their little siblings as well, because for once, they're the powerful ones. They're generally pretty powerless creatures. Especially... Ancient societies, they weren't really into extracurricular activities and lollies and self-esteem and those kind of things, no? Jesus is saying, you need to humble yourself and be like this child to be part of this kingdom. Mark, in Mark, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, people who are like children. So the call to be a child is not to act humble, but to be humbled to see our humbleness, to see ourselves with a lot less power and control than we like to think. And that sounds tricky, it's hard, and not very appealing, isn't it? But, but if you think about it, there's actually joy, and there's actually peace in being a child when you're looked after well. There's freedom, isn't there? Sometimes I wish I was free as a child without the responsibilities and, 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 and cares and weight of the world. There's great freedom in not having to be in control. There's great freedom in seeing our own powerlessness when we're well looked after. 
There's great freedom and powerlessness if we know that the most powerful one has our back. If you know that the ultimate power delights in you. Last week we talked about children being God's delight. And this delight extends to those who who are called the children of God to you and to me. Look how seriously God takes the safety of his little ones. Like this is big language, this is kind of um, hyperbole. It's um, Jesus making a point. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me, I think he means little ones, not just little ones, but little ones, um, who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone was hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offences, for offences will inevitably come, but woe to that person by whom the offence comes. It's big language, isn't it? It's serious. Um, Don't touch my kids, God says. It will not go well for you. As God's children, we are His delight. He cares for us. Powerlessness is okay because we're on the side of the one who's actually got ultimate power. The one who delights in us, cares for us, cares for our safety in Him. I find it hard to remember. Perhaps you find it hard to remember. Um, I like being in control. Uh, So do you, I imagine. It's how we keep things going well for us. Working for, relying on ourselves. But Jesus says, no, there's something better than that. Something better. There's a life that I can give you that is better than being in control. We're going to look at the the next verses, verses 8 and 9, and and they're kind of those heavy verses about chopping off limbs and gouging eyes. And often we, 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 we kind of read those in the context of thinking about our sin, thinking about accountability, thinking about, you know, um, uh, dealing with sin at being significant. And that's all true, but I want to see something else from them this time. Uh, have a look. I'll just, just read it and then tell you what, I'm, what I mean. Uh, verses 8 and 9. If your hand or foot causes you to fall away, uh, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out and throw it away, it is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hellfire. Again, big language, isn't it? This is often presented as that kind of scary and serious passage. But but think about it through the angle of our powerlessness and God's care for His children. Um, To live without a hand or a foot or an eye is really hard. I know just even in a small way, I've, I've injured my wrists before and uh, you just realise when you're injured how much you need what you've, what you've lost. Uh, you, you can't do your buttons up or it's hard to get your clothes on or go to the loo or all kinds of stuff. You know, you, you break your ankle, you're on crutches for weeks. Um, as, as sight fades from people's eyes, life becomes harder. You lose control, lose power. We feel uselessness and powerlessness when we're tucked up in a hospital bed and can't do anything about it. And it's those moments we realise how little control we actually have, how dependent we are. And Jesus uses this really strong language, the graphic image of cutting off feet and gouging out eyes to say, you know what, there's something worse than being helpless. There's something worse than life without control. What a terrible thing if you went through life confident in your own power and your own control, dependent on just yourself, with the ability to do whatever you wanted, how terrible to go through life like that and miss out on the life that I have for you. Miss out on the life that I want to give you 
Jesus says. How terrible for you to think you've got it all together, that you're self-sufficient and self-reliant and miss out on what I have planned for you. He doesn't mince his words, does he? Do you want eternal life or eternal fire? That's what he says. You want to be part of my kingdom for eternity or do you want to go your own way? You don't get life by being the greatest. You don't get this life by being self-reliant. You don't get the kingdom without being a child of the king. You don't get the kingdom without being a child of the king. So turn and be like little children and have true life with me because I love you and I delight in you. You are mine. Turn and be like a child. Now, I know I'm not good at this myself. I like to dig my way out of my problems. I like to rely on my own strength. I'm not good at letting go of control. I want to know what my future holds. I want to know... I want to be able to shape my path. I want to have confidence in my abilities. I want to call the shots. But to you and to me, Jesus says, you don't really have control. I give you every breath. Stop trying to hold on so tight. Stop holding on so tight. And I say, maybe you say, well, how? I don't know, I don't know another way. How do I know that you've got me? How do I know that you're powerful enough? How do I know that I can trust you? How do I give up control? And Jesus says like this, I'll show you. And we look at Jesus and we see him, the true king, the son of God, the royal prince, the one not meant to pay taxes, the one meant to be able to call the shots, the one who actually does have power, and we see him lay it down and say, this is how you give up control. Jesus lets his puny little people beat their chests in victory, take him to the cross. These puny people who think that they're in control. Why did they take him to the cross? John chapter 5, this is one reason. This is why the Jews began to try all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. Making himself equal to God. Jesus called God his Father, so they tried to get rid of him. How do you and I let go of control? Well, Jesus shows us like this. He allows himself to be taken to his death. And then, in the depths of that perceived deceit, a defeat and powerlessness, that's when we see him for who he really is. We see Jesus rise from the dead. Now, his puny enemies, we see they weren't in control. In his resurrection, we see Jesus declared with glory to be the true Son of God. And we see this man, this man who is God with us, we see him conquer death. And we realize how foolish it is to think that we have any power and control compared to this one. We are like little children. How foolish we are to think we don't need him. How blind of us. And we see Jesus for who he really is. And as we uh, see Jesus for who he really is, we, we may well see our, our mistake. We may, we may be convicted that we've ignored him. We may see our offense and say, sorry to God, how can I make it up to you? Sorry for living life ignoring you. What can I do? How can I fix it? How can I serve you better? But if you do that, we're doing it again, aren't we? Trying to deal with our problems ourselves and our own effort. Jesus dealt with our rebellion. Jesus dealt with our foolishness on the cross. It is finished, he said. I did it all. I did it all for you. You are a child. You're being offered a gift. A beautiful gift. You can't earn it. 
You can't buy it. You can't order it on Amazon. You just need to say thank you and accept it. And children love getting gifts. Jesus gave up his power and control, gave up his privilege, so that this privilege of being a child of God can be ours too. So let go of your pride and your entitlement and your achievement and your desire for your own glory and be like a child. See your powerlessness, hold your arms out to Jesus, accept his gift, and you can be a child of God and all the benefits that come with that. All the benefits that come with that. We're going to think more about the benefits of inheritance, of being a child of God. Next week, James Flood's going to come and be uh, speaking to us on, 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 on what it means to be an adopted child of God, the inheritance that comes uh, with that. But for now, um, let's just take a moment. I want you to take a moment to identify maybe a part of your life where you know that you are um, forgetting to be like a child, where you're holding on to control. One area perhaps to repent and turn back to Jesus in this. All right, here's what we'll do. I'm going to paint a little quick picture. Uh, not actually paint, I'm not good at that. But we'll paint a quick picture of what a, a child is like with, with their father. Now, this is an ideal picture. Parents are far from ideal. Children are far from ideal. A good family is not everyone's experience, I, I know that. But when things are going well with a good parent, a great parent, here's what it looks like. Now, here's a few things. Picture this, picture a child. Um, a child doesn't know the answers and always asks why. When a child trips and falls, they run to their father, not away from him. A child doesn't filter their emotions and their words. A child doesn't worry about being provided for. And a child just enjoys being with a good parent. Now, think about these things in terms of our relationship as children of the Heavenly Father. Perhaps one of them will stand out to you as a place that, that you can talk to God about. Uh, Firstly, a child doesn't know the answers and always asks why and asks it again and why, why, why. And maybe that's you. Perhaps you find yourself needing to know everything and to be in control and not coping when you don't understand part of God's plan. But that's okay. We can talk to God and ask Him. Perhaps you can rest in the knowledge that as a child, you won't know everything God knows. There will be things outside your grasp and that's okay doesn't mean we need to shut up and be quiet and not ask him about it. We are free to ask why and ask it again. We can come to God in our curiosity rather than hide away and look for answers somewhere else. When a child trips and falls, they run to their father, not away from him. Perhaps you know what it is to have turned away from God. Perhaps you know what it is to struggle with, with sin. Perhaps you know that you've tripped and fallen and feel the embarrassment and shame before God and maybe in front of others too. Maybe you feel like running as far away from God as possible and hiding. But a child, when they fall, picks themselves up and runs towards their parents. God wants the same for us. We are not surprised when our kids fall over and make mistakes and break things and hurt each other. God is certainly not taken by surprise by our trips and falls. We can run to Him. A child doesn't filter their emotions or words. As we, as we get older, we, get, we learn to say less. We learn to filter. We learn to not let on what we're feeling. A child doesn't do that, and we don't need to do that before God. The Psalms are full of people crying out in anguish and pain and fear and joy to God. We don't need to filter with our Father. Don't need to pretend. Don't need fancy, solemn prayers or anything. Relationships, relationships are forged in the heat of 
roller coaster of emotions, we can bring our hearts to God, our, our good Father. Fourthly, a child doesn't worry about being provided for it, and often we do feel anxious about the future, about having what we need. A child isn't usually worried about these kinds of things. Now, it's pretty hard for me to say, stop worrying about your job or money or mortgage or whatever. But we can bring those worries to God. We remember Jesus who became poor that we might be rich in Him. We remember God's sovereignty over time and space and His love for His precious children, for you and for me. And lastly, a child enjoys being with a good parent, a good father. Do we take time just to be with our Heavenly Father as His child? Time in prayer, time in His Word, time remembering our child our childness, our childness with Him. Moments for switching off other noises, for a walk, for a talk, as we sing, even together, remembering that. Um, we desire to be productive, and, and that, uh, I guess, productive or distracted, and when we, when we desire that, um, this easily falls away. But it's refreshing to stop, to switch off, just be with God. There's five things there, maybe one stands out to you, something you can pray about and something in prayer you can return to your father in as his child. Friends, we have an amazing privilege. We can call God Father. He's a good one, a perfect one, better than any father we've ever had or any father that we can be. We're significant to him, cherished by him, not because, you know, we're a great church or do things well. I'm not loved more if I preach a good sermon and I'm not, you're not loved more if you listen well. I mean, you have listened well, thank you, but that's not the point. Our value isn't, isn't because we serve this much or give this much or we've got lots of kids coming to Tuning Kids Week and selling that out, as great as all that is. We're loved as children of God. And the key to taking hold of this privilege is remembering that we are like children powerless, small, not as wise as we think we are, not as obedient as we should be, not as clever as we want to be, no way in control as we'd like to be, but children, loved, delighted in, called just to be with our Father, with Jesus. Jesus says that little children come to me, do not stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, belongs to kids like us. I pray. Our Father in heaven, as Jesus taught us, we can call you Father. And what an amazing privilege that is. Uh, we are not great kids. We're not great at remembering that we are children before you. But please show us again what it means to be your child. May we come to you with our limited understanding. May we run to you when we fail and fall. May we be real with you about the things on our hearts. May we trust in you to provide for what we need. May we enjoy just being with you. Thanks that you know us through and through, that you love us infinitely. Thank you for showing us this love in Jesus, in his death and resurrection, which brings us into your family and lets us call you Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.